My Black Counts is a podcast series produced by the Center for Community Engagement, Environmental Justice, and Health, with assistance from WYPR. Hello, everyone. Welcome to My Block Counts, an environmental justice podcast dedicated to helping people know so they can grow and help things flow within their communities. My name is Dr. Jacoby Wilson. In today's episode, we're going to discuss food justice and veganism. Where I guess Naja Wright Brown, co-owner, along with her husband, Chef Gregory Brown, of Baltimore's premier vegan restaurant, The Land of Kush. I love that name. You know, you talk about Afrocentric, knowing your history, folks. Y'all better learn about Kush, right? Just where it comes from. The ultimate vegan soul experience. Serving the likes of Stevie Wonder, Angela Davis, and many others. Naja and Gregory have participated and been actively involved in outreach in the African-American community, speaking to young and and old about the benefits of changing their diet and concepts of health and nutrition. Welcome to My Block Counts, Naja. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having us. (laughs) So I'm excited to to have you uh, talk about your restaurant, about your work, about just, you know, what it means to be a vegan. So let's talk first about the land of Kush. I mean, again, I'm excited. I want my little girl to actually write a comic book about, you know, Kush and Nubia and all that. And she doesn't want to do it. But again, it's exciting to see you you grounded in that history. Can you talk about your background of the restaurant, you know, in regards to exception and how you ground, you know, the restaurant in our history? Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, you know, I hail from the South Bronx, the South South Bronx, um, 23 years. Uh, my husband, Greg, is definitely a Baltimorean on both sides, mother and father from Baltimore. Um, restaurants were not part of my career. As you say, when you're thinking of something to do, I never thought I'd be in the restaurant business. Definitely not to this this extent that, that uh, we're in now. Greg is um, an alumni of Morgan State University. He graduated with an accounting degree. <laughs> he worked for MCI and Verizon Wireless. I met him at Verizon Wireless, but that's not the type of work he wanted to do. Um, he wanted to own a restaurant. So, and he does now. He's been vegan since 1998. And uh, when he tells the story, he says that an elder came to him and, you know, told him to journal and put his thoughts down, uh, you know, from God. And, um, you know, it works. The the journaling worked. He envisioned having this restaurant and um, we are celebrating 12 years as of January 6th. So, you know, that's a blessing. The way I got in, (laughs) in this I came down to Maryland in 2005, had a physical and my cholesterol was really high. I thought I was the most healthiest thing on the planet, eating all types of eggs, which is 70% cholesterol and cheese and dairy and cakes and ice cream, even though I was working out. But, um, you know, diet is is one of the most important things. So 
when I met Greg at the Verizon Wireless, I was on my journey to get my health in order. I didn't know anything about a vegan, vegetarian, none of this stuff, all these labels that they have today, but he used to bring these interesting dishes to work. When I say interesting, you know, our people, if it doesn't look like something that resonates with us or it's relative or something that we know about, it's strange. I don't care what type of cuisine, it's strange. So he would bring these dishes to work and um, have me try them. We were on the same management team and, you know, it was tofu and with different sauces, mustard sauce, uh, barbecue sauce, curry, things like that. And I said, these are good, but if you're thinking about bringing it to the market, you know, it's got to be more relatable. We got to get the collard greens and the yams and the mac and cheese, you know, things like that. So um, he is self-educated. He's a self-educated chef, has not been to culinary school. Everything is book taught. You know, he'll say he went cold turkey when he became vegan and bought a book. He didn't know how to cook for anybody. He bought this big book with 500 recipes and all plant-based. When you say plant-based, I'm talking about plant-based. You know, Mm -hmm. meat eaters, all meat eaters have or, you know, uh, some meats. But when you're talking about full plant based, there are international fruits and vegetables and grains. So learning to cook with all of that type of stuff. Fast forward today, I told them, like, I would have never known I would be marketing and the public relations persons behind a vegan restaurant and award winning. I was award winning because we've been winning awards, you know, basically since we've been open and it's been such a heck of a journey that (laughs) I wouldn't give this up for anything else. Um, And that's pretty much the story. I used to run nightclubs and talent shows and things like that. Um, No restaurant background. He doesn't have a a restaurant background per se in management. And, you know, we're still here today. That's a blessing. That's amazing. That's that's excellent to hear. I mean, about just the history of the restaurant, you know, getting the grounding, the work and your sort of just the cultural grounding as well that you just shared. And our first Part of this episode, we really talked about concentrated animal feeding operations known as CAFOs in our region. If you think about the Delmarva, the Delaware, or Maryland, Virginia Peninsula region, we're talking about industrial chicken farming. What impacts it has on, on our food system? It what impacts, you know, our broken food system has on neighborhoods, particularly neighborhoods of color, where you have a high number of fast food restaurants the lack of access to food resources in general in those communities. And so can you share, uh, you know, your thoughts about the impact of what we call factory farming, (laughs) industrial farming on our environment, on human health, and how veganism is supportive of environmental health and reducing food waste? I'm glad you asked that because it's disgusting, the factory farm. And I could say that, and if you're dealing with uh, cows, the flatulence issue with (laughs) how it affects, you know, the ozone layer. In October, I saw a documentary called The Smell of Money. The smell of money about um, a particular company that's raising uh, pigs, farming pigs, and the environmental damage that it was doing to families and communities in uh, North Carolina. You're talking about pig poo sprayed. That is animal factory farming. Just visualize it. You know, you got poo, you got smell, you got things seeping into the water. And these farms are set up in, where do you think? 
low income areas, you know, primary low income black communities in North Carolina. Yep. Exactly. So you're wondering why children have uh, asthma, you know, growing up with, you know, respiratory issues, all of that. That's the problem. Going vegan reduces the need to have these animals because you don't need meat to survive. It's interesting to me in the African-American community, they say the African-Americans are the fastest growing demographic in veganism. I don't know why everybody's surprised about that. If you look at the Seventh-day Adventists, they've always, you know, eaten this way, you know? So the Hebrew Israelites, you're talking about Judaism. I don't know what the surprise is. I think what happens is when these words, vegan was birthed out of vegetarianism. When we come up with these words, then all of a sudden it's like, it's a ha-ha moment. The Rastafarian, the lifestyle lifestyle. They weren't eating meat and, you know, animal products. So it just always confuses me, like, why everybody is so baffled about this lifestyle. Is it just the word change or whatever? I mean, we've been doing this. Tracy McWhorter came out with the African-American Vegan Starter Guide a few years ago, and we've distributed uh, tens of thousands of these through the restaurant, through uh, Vegan Soul Fest, the annual vegan festival that we're involved with organizing. Dick Gregory, come on now. Stop acting like you don't know who this guy is. He wasn't just about civil rights. He was about animal rights, too. So... You know, we're just re-educating. <laughs> That's really all we're doing. I mean, you talk about the Carji Wilson's miseducation. We need to talk about the re-education, right? Exactly, exactly. Animal agriculture is like the most disgusting thing that can be done right now to us in this environment. And it just needs to stop because um, we're not going to get any better. It's damaging the climate. It's a lot of shit. Just look at what's going on with the weather. Like, you know, if anyone's really paying attention, weather hasn't been this bad since when? The earth is collapsing and we're causing that. Why? Because we have this selfish privilege need to eat meat. That's it. And you you think about... (laughs) <laughs> you think about the whole meat production process. So look at the supply chain. So you have the animals been raised in the pens. So you talked about uh, industrial hog farms. Uh, you got industrial chicken farms. They've been raised in these houses, right? So you have a lot of waste. And so for the audience, you know, you have greenhouse gases that are produced. One of the major contributors to greenhouse gas emissions in the world is intensive animal agriculture. So you got methane gas which is worse than CO2. So when you have any type of flatulence, right, you have gases. <laughs> CO2 is one of those gases. Methane is another one of those gases, right? And then when you actually think about the fossil fuels that are used to transport the eggs from the farm to market, the animals from the farm to the market, you also have pollution emissions as well. And then as was stated, you look at the operations themselves, you have pollutants like ammonia, hydrogen sulfide, nitrates that can get into people's well water and cause blue babies disease and impact neurological uh, functioning of little kids. There's numerous negative health impacts of uh, these operations. And, and some research has shown that you talked about the older issue. Some research has shown that the actual fecal material, I'm not going to use the other word, but the fecal material has been captured in people's homes. Yeah. Right. Yes. So you got folks living there, these operations, whether it be chicken farms, cattle farms, hog farms, 
would potentially waste being blown into their houses. Yes, yes. And watching that documentary, The Smell of Money, to see it, it was hurtful. I mean, it was a lawsuit or by the time there was some resolution or class action settlement, mind you, nothing really done to the the people behind what's going on with the factory farm. Just a settlement, the main person died. You know, so it's like <laughs> people yeah. are dying because of this. And you're talking about Elsie? From North Carolina, yes. Yeah, Elsie Herring. So for those of you who don't know, Elsie Herring was one of the leading environmental justice advocates fighting against industrial hog farming in North Carolina. I knew Elsie well as a grad student at UNC Chapel Hill. I met her back in 1999. She went through a lot of intimidation from the industry in her fight. There's other folks like Dr. Steve Wing, who was one of my mentors who helped to do a lot of work fighting against the industry in North Carolina. And so, and, and you think about what you're talking about, we call what's happening in North Carolina a form of um, environmental slavery, is what we call it. What's happening to the animals, but also what's happening to the people who live by those facilities. That's right. another reason why we need to stop eating meat. You are contributing to environmental slavery when you're consuming animal products, because those facilities, whether it be the farms or the meat packing facilities, whose communities host those facilities. But we just don't get it. I mean, because food is cultural and it brings, you know, families together. So it's just that cat. Well, I grew up on this. I mean, you know, we're talking about all the way up from from slavery. Like families have grown up eating the pig and, you know, the cat, like, you know, you think of the movie Soul Food. So it's hard for people to break away from this because of the culture. Break those chains. You said break those chains. <laughs> break those food chains. So, you know, exactly. unhealthy food chains. Go ahead. Exactly. So I guess the death to us part, you know, in terms of that, it's just not working. But um, when I got into the health part of the vegan movement, learning about things like the environmentalism and the impact that it has on global hunger and who's suffering from global hunger, Black people (laughs) in the majority. So us taking away food from the mouths of people that can use it so we can feed animals. It's a no-brainer for me, really. As you said, there's a lot of negative impacts of industrial animal agriculture on human health and the environment. And we have options, right? We have options. And one of those options I like to dive into is let you have get a chance to talk about the black veg. Is it black vegan or you go black veg no, please, society? The, I love the vegan is a, is a great word. That's why we got vegan soul fest, but we got to remember the birth of veg came from vegetarianism. So initially it was called the Black Vegetarian Society of Maryland. And now we have the DBA doing business as black veg society and oh, black gotcha. veg society. We had a very loyal customer that um, would come to the land of Kush, you know, in the first couple of years uh, when we opened, they was trying to hand us this Facebook group that was called Black Vegetarian Society of Maryland. Now you have Black Vegetarian Society of Georgia, which is the, the oldest, you know, they've been around forever. And then you have one in New York and they have one in, Te- you know, so you have other societies ar- around the, the country. This one in Maryland, he was trying to hand this Facebook, but he's like, you guys are doing so great here. You know, take this, take this. But we were just getting ourselves started with the restaurant and, you know, with restaurant, people don't understand. This is a hard hustle. It's, you know, marketing 24 seven, it's laborious. (laughs) There was no time to be part of something else. I mean, we had to, you know, handle our business, but 
in three years, uh, coming up on 2014, when we launched Vegan Soul Fest with our partner, Brenda Sanders, who at that time was with Better Health, Better Life, it made sense. Okay, we need this community-oriented type of group. We'll take this Facebook page now. We have something that we can do with it. But we made it into a 501c3 you know, during that time. So it became an official organization. Uh, and just recently, a couple of years ago, we did the DBA as Black Bear Society because I'm just not tied to Maryland. I have connections in San Antonio, Texas. I have connections mm-hmm. in Denver, Colorado. I have connections in New York. So I don't just have to operate and do things and collaborations in Maryland. I'm connected all over. So Black Vet Society's mission is just to uh, educate um, our BIPOC community. So initially we were focusing on the African-American and Latino, but the BIPOC community, you're talking about the indigenous, you know, people of color, Asian, Indian, it encompasses all of it because we all have cuisines, you know, and all of them. It's just not about vegan soul food. We have all different types of cuisines. So we want to showcase that. And we also want to talk about the benefits of holistic living, plants before prescriptions. You know, yeah. people need to stop, you know, shoving <laughs> prescription drugs down that door. Food can be used as medicine. So talking about that whole, and we have webinars that we've been doing since the pandemic around food being used as medicine and um, the plant-based diet along with veganism so we're meeting people where they are i got you mentally all different ages um lifestyles socioeconomic backgrounds meeting you where you are through your eating education events and we want to empower you and enrich you some people don't want to be bothered by uh lectures some people want to be taught on their own like where are the resources i'm a resourceful person i can go online and find things myself i don't need to sit in two three four hour seminars or conferences all the time sometimes i just want to self-educate so just allowing people the liberty to go to the website and peruse there and then if you need additional assistance we have certified coaches that uh work with us and you can work with them and and you know really zoom in on what it is that you need to do to better yourself and your health and contribute to the environment and the animals and all that great stuff i mean it's important because uh you know for me you know i went to alabama and university so you know it's an agriculture you know land grant institution and so I'm from Mississippi. I'm a country boy. So growing stuff is in my roots. Well, I had stuff growing up. My patio decks with moon glow and then morning glory. I was growing watermelon, roses, all kinds of stuff at my apartment complex at Chapel Hill, right? For me, food is power. Food is health. Food is wealth, right? Food is culture. And we can have a good food culture, right? That's empowering. And I'm really excited about my spouse who I started this vegan challenge in response to industrial animal agriculture. And I did it two years ago. I did it for six months. And then Natasha... She picked up on, like, introduced her to it, and then she's kind of taken it. I'm amazed at what she's doing. 100% plant-based, one-year anniversary of plant-based. I think it was this week or last week. She was really excited. She showed me her plant-based cookbook she got for herself on Christmas. Took a video like, yeah, plant-based, baby. So she's all into it. At my house, I'm not fully plant-based yet, but I do grow my own food. I think growing your own food is important. And so I grow all kinds of stuff. I've been trying to grow bananas and mangoes. I know the temper zone is a little bit off. My pomegranate's not growing, but I have a pomegranate hedge. I got this 24-foot-long, 8-foot-tall blackberry trellis on one side of the house. Other side of the house, I like an 8-foot-tall, 24-foot-long grape arbor. So I'm growing grapes. On my patio deck, I grow muscadines. 
on the deck, I'm growing tomatoes. I got 16 raised beds in the back, growing all kinds of stuff, leafy vegetables. So I grow a lot of stuff. And, and I think what you're saying is I don't have to go to the store as much. I reduce my carbon footprint. I'm not using pesticides. So I'm not exposing myself and my kids to pesticides. And then we're cooking healthy food and we can make it soulful without the negative stuff. So I appreciate what you're saying because that's a powerful statement about how you can reduce the impact of the environment, but also how you can uplift your culture. It's not the end of your culture when you go being a vegan. It uplifts your culture and it reconnects you, as you said, to your culture, reconnects you to Kush, right? I'm going to stop talking, but I think it's a powerful statement that you just made. I'm glad you said something about reconnection to Kush because, I mean, we get people that come in all the time, you know, whether they're taking uh, pictures of the logo or they ask questions about what does Kush mean. Of course, Kush is associated, you know, with your psychedelic <laughs> drugs. That's, but, a different, um, that's a different Kush. We're not talking about that Kush. Kush. That's the number one thing that people will connect it with. But then when you educate them and say, well, you know, Kush was an ancient African civilization in Nubia, which is uh, Ethiopia. And, you know, yes. we weren't always slaves. A lot of people People don't realize that we were and still are a powerful people. And, you know, it just opens one's eyes. As a matter of fact, there was um, a gentleman that did a story in Smithsonian Magazine, The Lost Kingdom of Kush. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? The Lost Kingdom of Kush. So you start opening the dialogue to what Kush is and what it was and what it represented. So that key and going back to the growing of the food. When I lived in the South Bronx as a young and my mother wanted to expose me to more than concrete because that's all you see in the, when you're in a project. It's concrete everywhere. She would send me out to uh, a camp in the Berkshires. It was a two-week camp and the family I would stay with, they grew their food. Meat was a delicacy. This wasn't something that was consumed every night for dinner. We had to pick out stream beans and tomatoes, you know, things that we needed from the garden for salad. Everything was picked, you know, soups, all of that stuff. So being a kid at six years old, being exposed to this, it would definitely impact me as I'm growing up. That still stays with me today sustainability solar panels now this family built their own house they were into the environmentalism composting using yep. food yeah all of that stuff so um that i forgot to mention that early in the interview i was exposed to that at a very early age and it's yep. different i used to cry when i used to have to come back home into the city because just to be exposed to fresh air, being able to walk down rivers, you know, walk barefoot on, in the rocks and the grass, just a totally different experience. Eat what you pick. Think about what you just said. There's a, the power of nature is what you're talking about, right? There's a conference that's very about, they call Taking Nature Black. If you're interested in attending that, that's a very powerful conference when we're talking about these kind of issues, right? But, you know, nature is part of us, right? But there's a nature gap. It's a study that came up three years ago that said Blacks have three times less access to nature compared to their white counterparts. Low-income folks have three times less access to nature than their wealthier counterparts. We all need access to nature. And you were talking about, you know, Kush and our history. We were master agriculturalists before slavery. So you're making powerful statements about who we are and what culture means and what food means for us, right? And how we can empower ourselves. So I want to talk about a little bit of those issues around food. There's this whole term called food apartheid. I'm going to dig in that a little bit for the audience, right? It's going to break down uh, these issues around food. You think about first part of the episode, we talked about food apartheid. And we talked a little bit about food just the food swamps. A lot of people don't like those terms because me making a negative connotation. There's great foods being grown in deserts and also swamps. 
So, but food apartheid is really the system of a wide discrimination that focuses on community resilience and transform the pathways of food justice. We acknowledge it's a broken food system as we've been talking about. Industrial animal agriculture, the lack of community gardens, the lack of farmers markets, the need for more local agriculture in our urban areas, right? We should be having ecotopias, making Wakanda real, bringing food to the people, have food cities, have green cities, right? And yeah. so it really food apartheid acknowledge these systems and these decisions that have disadvantaged BIPOC communities, have disadvantaged BIPOC communities. So how can veganism help address food apartheid and making food infrastructure more accessible to marginalized communities? Well, I think, uh, to be honest with you, we need to get rid of the words and the labeling. A lot of times when we're using in veganism, and this is like people, you know, they get uh, caught up in, you know, what this really means. Veganism is you can't exploit any animals. You can't wear leather. You can't consume honey. So I think what needs to happen is going back to the meeting people where they are. If you're talking plant-based or me, I continue to use vegetarian because when Land of Kush opened, we have vegetarian cuisine. Pure vegetarianism was and still is a thing. There are vegetarians that don't consume <laughs> milk or dairy. So just keeping it yeah simple and stop with all these crazy terms and mm -hmm. uh, divide and, and creating this division around you're not vegan enough or whatever just this yeah. is what so I mean. meal where you are not creating a caste system within in our food so how we enjoy food i really appreciate that keep going i'm sorry keep going just in what you eat if you're eating a lasagna can it be a veggie lasagna without the inflammatory products of milk, dairy, or meat. Let's take all of these words out of it. How can you make your uh, meal healthier? You know you should be eating fresh foods. Just like you're saying, you're going for, everybody's not going to grow from the garden. Well, I don't grow from the garden. Everyone's not going to do that. But how can you make this dish fresher based on your accessibility? It might just be frozen stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, what can you do to make this meal a little bit more healthier and get more plant base options on your place. We do it with the restaurants now. You know, that's why we have the vegan restaurant month. How do we get these restaurants to add more plant-based options on their menu? Because they're even terrified of the whole, you know, vegan, oh my God, it's not going to taste good and our customers are going to run away. So it's, yeah. it's, it's not this thing that people are running away from. They want more of. So yeah. making a more meet me halfway approach yeah. to it. Knowing your audience, right? Knowing the context, knowing cultural competence and cultural wellness models to engaging folks and to bringing in, you know, really addressing some of their needs. And you said people, you said 30% of folks are looking for these options. Part of this is, as we were saying, when you think about food, we talked about industrial animal agriculture, but also pesticides. I'm an environmental scientist. So we talk about exposures, right? One of the main ways you get exposed to contaminants is through the consumption of food. We emphasize really air and water. We don't talk enough about food, right? So I think it's a powerful statement, an opportunity for our audience to hear that I said food is power, food is culture, food is wealth, food is health. That's one of the main messages. You are what you eat. And we are eating things that are BPA. We have metals that may be contaminating our food. You could be exposed to microbial contaminants as well, depending on where your food is coming from, E. coli, 
salmonella, right? Even if you're growing your own food, you want to be careful about what you're growing because you want to make sure you do remediation because it could be metals in the soil. Right. You could have a current source of pollution that could impact your food that you're growing. We have to be more aware about our food. So plant-based approaches, plant-based diets, and just like you said, meet people where they are. So you have more of these options. You're going to get a healthier option in many ways when you're focused on plants and vegetables. Instead of when you're focused on, you know, some of these other meat-based products, which also have carcinogens, it could be exposed to other types of uh, chemical contaminants. That again, you are what you eat. So I just wanted to, you know, share that with the audience. You, you have anything to say about that, Naja? When you talk about know your audience, you, you just have to know. There's different people on different level. It's a journey and everyone has their own journey. My journey wasn't the same as Greg's journey. Like I said, he went cold turkey on it. He just threw everything out of his refrigerator and didn't know how to cook and just started cooking there. Me, it was a journey towards, hey, I was, big in the seafood and even when I met him and, and we, we started dating I said well I don't know if I'm able to give up my seafood so are you gonna have a problem with that and he was like you know I, I may be able to deal with that you know just steps being conscious and doing your research and educating yourself and if you like to cook you know you dabble into playing with some recipes everybody doesn't like to cook everybody doesn't want to cook and we have to understand everybody is not like us and they're not going to be like us and we can't force it what can we do to make it convenient and easy for that individual or family that's trying to do this, whether it's on a budget, whether it's just trying to learn new ways to cook, whether it's, I just want to do it once a week, whether that's a meatless Monday or a meatless meal. You can educate them all you want about the BP and all these chemicals and all this other stuff. There's a lot of people walking around saying that I'm going to die anyway. So what? Why can't I just have my fun, you know, and eat it too? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, how, do you, how do you combat that? So, so, um, so let me ask you a question. So let's dig in a little bit more. So on your on your digital talk show, Naja Speaks, you aim to help people, you know, find their vegan soul, right? Exactly. So, so what would you want to share with folks? Kind of dig in a little bit more about how to gain learn more about food justice and, and you know, the different plant-based and different vegan or being a vegetarian. What are the resources out there for them? What are the products out there for them? How can you get people to start it? Baby steps. Can you well, share with the audience some of those well, things? Yeah, you know, you started with a pledge, right? It's Veganuary right now. Veganuary uh, is a campaign that was birthed out of um, the UK. So Veganuary is a vegan January. Can you do something this month to uh, start the journey, whether it's take a breakfast and veganize it, take lunch and veganize it, dinner and veganize it. What can you do to start? Sometimes you need a pledge to get you through it. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you need a support group. Is there a meetup group around you that can uh, help you on this journey? Do you need a mentor? Do you need someone to handhold you? Or are you somebody that's, you know, self-educated like myself? I can Google is your friend. I can Google things mm -hmm. and research that way. Do not just speaks. Yes, I'm on a mission to help people find their vegan soul. And it's not just about food. It's about compassion, compassion mm -hmm. and action. Soul is the soul. Vegan is compassion. You have to make this journey your own. Nobody wants to be controlled. You know, we had mm -hmm. enough of that. Then we have a lot of control in colonization. Like people, you know, have had enough of that. So yeah. what I do is I love interviewing different people from all backgrounds, whether they're vegan, plant-based, flexitarian, reducitarian. As a matter of fact, I had a skateboarder on there, a dirty ghetto kid skateboarder on today 
you know, talking about her journey and um, how she felt about veganism and its relation to the community that she's in. So you got to be able to find ways to talk to everybody. There's no cookie cutter solution here. And I like this uh, for the audience again. You know, this is very much connected to, you know, your like you said, your soul, compassion, being compassionate, but also social justice, right? So I just want to make that point about the connection between what you're saying and social justice. But so you said, so, you know, use Google, you do a pledge, you said meet up with people. Are there any products out there that you would recommend to folks if they want to get started? Like, go check this product out. You're talking about yeah, eating? Okay, all right. I'm a, yeah. I'm a fan of um, certain brands. Uh, when we're looking at cheeses, I love Follow Your Heart cheese. They have different ones, American, cheddar. I have some smoked. Smoked Gouda, yeah. Yes, or chow cheese. You know, those are my favorite. That's made by Field Roast. Um, Veganaise, I love, again, Follow Your Heart. It's my favorite brand in Veganaise. When you're talking about milks, Right now we're on Good Karma uh, flax milk, and there's all different type of milk. You have your oat milk, your almond milk, soy milk, flax milk, help milk. You can make your own milk if that's what you want to do with the nuts. When you're thinking about this, what is your favorite? And you have to try. A lot of things that uh, Black Fish Society got started, we were doing a lot of table samplings. My daughter loved the deli sandwiches from Tofurky. So you have your, your vegan turkey, your vegan smoked turkey, different mm-hmm. type of deli sandwiches and the cheeses. We used to go out in the community and allow people to sample before they go into a Target or a Giant, a supermarket that's relatable to them to try these products. So Tuferkey's is on the list as well, if you're talking about mock meats. But again, playing around with plant-based foods. I like polenta. And if no one knows what polenta is, it's a yellow grit. So we do yellow grits with uh, saute veggies for breakfast in the morning and sprinkle some nutritional yeast on it. You know, just to give it mm-hmm. that cheesy flavor. Oh, you selling it, Tasha. That wow. cheesy. She was like, what's this, the salt, the volcanic salt or something that gives it the egg flavor? What's that? Oh, the kelp. Yeah, the, kelp. so she, yeah, she has all. that does that too. A black it's salt. It's amazing. There's also black salt. That does the black salt. Black so salt. yeah, you're just reminding me like, oh, I heard about that cheesy. I tried it. Yeah, it tastes oh, like cheese, it. I think. I put it on my popcorn. Instead of having the cheese popcorn, yeah. you, would, yeah, yeah. you can have that, sprinkle it all on it. It's something that you have to take the time and energy to play around with. To There's test it out. There's so many resources out there today. Many more than there were in the 60s. You know, when, when yeah. did all of these, these vegetables, when I'm looking at Tracy's uh, guy right now, uh, back, <laughs> you know, around the Dick Gregory time. It's just so much that you can uh, access now. It's definitely not as hard as it used to be decades ago. It is a lot easier. There are tons of resources out there. There's tons of support groups out there. Everybody is a plant-based coach if you want to go in that direction. You have to do what's best for you and your family with the good intention. What are you doing it for? Is it the health? Are you doing it for the environment, the animals, or all three? What is the intention to educate yourself? There's a lot of information out there. So thank you for that. I'm going to give you a little bit more time. Uh, You say, you know, meet people where they are. And that's a continuum out there when it comes to, you know, veganism, vegetarian, plant-based, pescatarian. You said reducitarian. Yeah, um, okay. that's a term too, reducing <laughs> your meat. That's a, actually a conference that started years ago. I haven't heard of that one ago. before. 
Yeah. Redu Reducitarian. You'll find yeah. out a lot about that. See, Google's your friend. <laughs> Reducitarian.org. Yeah, Reducitarian. So the question is, can you talk more about the myths around not just veganism, but some of these other things as well? Talk to the audience about educating them about veganism, the myths, but, but what, it, what it is and what it isn't. Just across the continuum. Across the continuum. What it is and what is it, or the myths about where you're going to get your protein and your calcium and all that type of stuff. Yeah. That question. People don't realize that uh, protein is in everything that we eat. And where do you think yep. the animals are getting their protein? from they're consuming they're eating it you know from the yeah. cows number one grass eaters and then you think about the strongest animals on earth you got um you know your gorillas what do you think they're eating in the movie this whole king kong like they're eating actually meat no they're vegetarians you know so is the giraffe and so is the horse these are strong animals that are vegetarian so we think milk does the body good well the milk doesn't do the body good. We're the only animals consuming another animal's milk, not yeah. understanding that breast milk is the best milk. You know what I'm saying? If yeah. we're going to feed something to our newborn, it should be our own milk. Going back to, there's a lot of re-education that has to happen, but I think this is intentional. It's the system. They don't want to know because if you don't know better, you're not going to do better. And the more yeah. you know that health is actually your wealth, the less you're going to spend time on trying to get yourself on prescription drugs through not following a well-balanced nutritional diet through plant-based foods. That's a powerful statement. We can think the animals get the protein from. They get it from the grass. They get it from the vegetables <laughs> they eat. So that's a simple message to share with the audience. And, and, and helping us, like you said, break down these barriers, break down all these misconceptions. And again, go move away from the miseducation to the re-education. As you said, the more you know, the more you can grow, right? That's what we want to do, you know, as part of this podcast. So do you have anything else you want to add? I mean, you, I know you yeah. talked a little bit about Vegan Soul Fest. I want to give you time yes. to talk about that. Can you dig into that more? Because I want the Absolutely. audience to know about Absolutely. how you can support this movement and support what y'all are doing. So go ahead and tell us about Vegan Soul Fest and Maryland Vegan Restaurant Week, please. Yes, absolutely. Um, Vegan Soul Fest was birthed, uh, again, by myself and um, Brenda Sanders uh, because of the need to bring a culturally diverse veg fest to an inner city, not somewhere in a county you know, where people really need to have access to it. So it started in 2014 as a free festival in a building, a two-story building. And then we couldn't even go back to that building the second year because it just blew out of the building. That's how many people were there. And then we uh, had it at um, Baltimore City Community College for three years and, and outgrew that space. So basically what you're going to get at Vegan Soul Fest is you're going to get the lecturers vegan doctors. Dr. Mills is a vegan internist. He's going to talk your head off about why you need to be vegan and eating vegan because he sees people coming in in critical care all the time, every day. We have to know that people have people in their family going through this right now with diabetes, heart disease, um, has experienced stroke and heart attacks and things like that. And we have to do better. You have lecturers, again, like Tracy McWhorter is there. You have um, music, you have cooking demos, you have access to food vendors that have different varieties of vegan foods. And you also have people selling their wares that are all veg friendly, you know, so we're not selling any leather or fur or anything that was animal exploited. 
it's annual and this year it'll be uh, in August. We're coming back after uh, two years. We came back after the hiatus, the, the pandemic. I mean, we came back in 2022 and uh, it, it was a paid fest. It's a paid fest now because, um, you know, we're bringing bigger and better guests there and more entertainment and, you know, the price of things have gone up. But if you go to vegansofest.com, you can find out a lot more about the festival. It will be August 19th and the 20th this year. Maryland Vegan Restaurant Week is coming March 4th to the 26th. So we're building our list of participating restaurants. And no, they're just not vegan restaurants. They're veg-friendly restaurants. Just because the whole thing is to get veg vegan-friendly restaurants to add more options to their menu. And hopefully restaurants that don't have any veg options exactly. to add options to their menu. So you can go to mdveganeats.com to find out more about that and the background information on that. Landa Kush, landakush.com. If you Google us, you can find out a lot about us. But landakush.com, want to come down to the Landa Kush. We're open seven days a week. We could always use support at Black Bear Society, financial, volunteers, what have you. Go to blackbearsociety.org to find out more about that. And nodjaspeaks.com. Every week I'm on live broadcast Thursdays at 11, nodjaspeaks.com. I've been doing this since uh, the pandemic started. So I have tons of interviews there, always looking for more guests to interview. And um, if you have any questions, please subscribe, like, comment, share, and nodjaspeaks.com. Appreciate that. This has been a great interview just to learn more about the land of Kush, all your great work in, in the city. And, and just like you said, you're doing work around the country. And so I want to thank you for joining us, lending your expertise to this conversation for this podcast, My Black Council about food justice, and just your activism. I plan to be there. And I want all the audience to also support this movement for food justice, because as Naja said, you could come in about food. It could be about the environment. It could be about when it comes to public health. This is something we can do. So we got to go from being miseducated to being re-educated. That's the way to empower ourselves and also empower our community. So thank you, Naja, for being with us today and really appreciate the time. Thanks for having me, Dr. Wilson. Much appreciated. Sending blessings your way. Have a prosperous new year, 2023. Thank you. So we learned today about how you can be a vegan. You can be plant-based. You can be vegetarian, right? You can be a, a reductionarian. I think we heard it today that you got vegan soul and connection to our culture, the land, the Kush, opportunities to grow our food just movement. So this is what we talk about the environmental justice movement. It's a holistic movement, everybody. It's about where we live, where we work, where we play, where we pray, what we learn. That's why today we're talking about my block counts, your neighborhood counts, your community counts, your health counts, and food is a part of that. So this podcast, again, everyone, is an environmental justice podcast dedicated to helping people know so they can grow and help things flow in their communities. So thank you for joining us today. And thank again to Naja Wright-Brown. Her husband, Greg, was able to join us, but their great work. See you next time. Dr. Wilson out. You've been listening to My Block Counts. My Block Counts is sponsored by the Center for Community Engagement, Environmental Justice, and Health at the University of Maryland. Executive producer and host, Dr. Sakobi Wilson, with production assistance from Ariel Wharton. Technical producer, Kelly Avent. Additional information about My Block Counts can be found at ceejh.center or wypr.org. New episodes of My Black Counts are released each month.
please share and subscribe wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review.